welcome to Thrive Church Online. I'm Rachel, your online host today. I'm so glad you're joining us wherever you are today. Special welcome to the first time guests. If this is your first time tuning in, please text NEW to 604-285-5770 and we will mail you a Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. It's just a way for us to say thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us today. Parents, we also prepare some fun and interactive online lessons for your children. Don't forget to check out this week's Thrive Kids resources at mythrive.info. Now, are you ready for today's service? You guys are awesome! Before I pass the time over to Pastor JB, I'd like to invite you to take a picture of you watching Thrive service and share the photo on social media with hashtag ThriveChurchOnline. Alright, I can't wait to hear the Word of God. Sit tight. Let's welcome Pastor JB. Hello everybody, my name is JB, and based on what I'm wearing and what you see behind me, you're probably expecting me to say something like, welcome to Best Buy, can I interest you in a TV, or can I interest you in some furniture? The fact is we're coming to you from a brand new soundstage. I'm not here to welcome you to Best Buy, but I'm here to welcome you to Thrive Church Online. It's because here, every single Sunday, we meet together. It's a chance to draw near to God together. It's a chance to encourage one another and find hope in this place. And so wherever you're watching this service today, a huge Welcome to you. And just in case you're wondering, is this soundstage actually real? Is this just Zoom, you know, just background, just imposed behind me? Well, let me show you right now. A huge thank you to our volunteers, our staff, who worked so hard to make this possible. Let me lie down right here, this beautiful couch. Welcome to our Thrive Living Room. Welcome to Thrive Online, right? Uh, if, if you want to reach us, you can call us at 1-800-T-H-R-I-V-E. I'm kidding, that's not our real number, but we're here to bring you encouragement. We're here to bring you God's love, uh, and we are so glad that here. In fact, if this is your first time here, you're what we call our VIP. Everyone say our VIP. In fact, those of you who've been here before in your chat rooms right now, would you welcome those who are joining us online for the first time? Just say welcome, first time guests. Welcome VIPs. It's so great to have you here. We even have a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, why don't you welcome one another in your chat rooms today. If you're sitting beside with someone watching the service, why don't you welcome one another with an air high five or even a real hug and just say, it is great to be in church with you today. Hey, and by the way, VIPs in this place, first time guests, we have a special gift just for you. It is a Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle. Just say thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You can get that by texting the word NEW to 604-285-5770, or you can go to mythrive.info. There's a button you can press called I'm New, and we love to connect with you that way. A massive welcome to all of our first time guests and all of you who are joining us online today. And once again, a huge thank you to our staff and our volunteers for this brand new soundstage. I find this, is that though settings can change, environments can change, you know, our circumstances can change, but God's vision for our lives never changes. And maybe you're here and you're kind of even wondering, God, like God's vision for your life? If that's you and you're not really sure what God's vision for your life is, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope today you're going to find it really helpful to talk more about just that. You know, today I want to remind you about why we 
even do this here at Thrive Church. Last week, I shared with you the vision of Thrive Church, and I told you that here at Thrive, we exist for five purposes called A-E-I-O-U. And just to make sure you were listening last week, just to make sure you didn't forget, in the chat room, can I do just a little fill in the blank test with you right now? A-E-I-O-U, those are the five purposes that we exist for here at Thrive Church. Could you tell me A stands for, write it in there, it stands for alive. Alive means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant. It means we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples. I stands for involved. It means we're here not just to be spectators, not just to coast through life, but we're here to serve God with our talents because God made you to make a difference in this world. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead others to Jesus. Write that in the chat room. And it's because we believe that God's love is so big that you just can't take it, keep it to yourself. You need to share it. U stands for united. And that means that we're here to love our spiritual family called our church. And by the way, a big thank you because we have such an amazing church family here. A huge thank you to each and every one of you who really went out of your way to, to love me this past week. Uh, you know, you guys were just, just uh, such an amazing family to bless me on my birthday this past week. And I'm just so touched. If, if love was a meal, I'm just completely stuffed right now. And so a big thank you to every single one of you guys. I just feel so blessed and just such such a privilege to be part of an amazing church family. You guys are beautiful church inside. And uh, well, welcome to our new soundstage, everybody. So excited to have you here. That's our A-E-I-O-U vision. And in fact, let me show you right now on the screen our A-E-I-O-U vision. And why don't you read this with me one more time so you can get in your heart. You might want to snapshot this. You might want to print screen on this. Make it make, make sure you get into your heart when you're, when you're not really sure what to do. You can look at this and get it into your heart today. Read it with me right now. We're going to say here at Thrive Church, we exist for five purposes called A-E-I-O-U. A stands for alive. It means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant. It means we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples. I stands for involved. It means we're here to serve God with our talents. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead others to Jesus. U stands for united. It means we're here to love our spiritual family called our church. And our dream is to build a church of 10,000 A-E-I-O-U leaders in the city of Vancouver. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. Wherever you're watching this service, that's why we exist. We're here to be alive, expect, involved, out loud, and united. And we're so glad that you're here. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were made to be A-E-I-O-U. You were made to be A-E-I-O-U. That is our vision. When you go through tough times, when you go through changing times, the fact is God's vision for your life never changes. And one of the best things you can do is to hang on to that vision. Speaking of God, speaking of his word, it's time to get into the message right now. And if you have your Bibles, I want to just invite you to grab your Bible with me right now. This is my Bible. It's a paper Bible. Maybe yours is a paper Bible. Maybe it's a phone or device you download the Bible into. Either way is cool. But this is just a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message right now. Would you just read this with me? me, say in a big loud voice, we're going to say, this is my Bible, it is God's word. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, 
Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would please turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. If you're wondering where Exodus is, it's really easy to find. It's right near the beginning of the Bible. It's in fact the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 21. We're going through a series here at Thrive that we're so excited to go through with you. It is called Exodus, Hope for Hard Times. And in this series, we're looking at one of the most amazing, most formidable, most fascinating, most powerful, most important stories ever told. It's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of how God led these, uh, you know, these Israelite slaves who were in ancient Egypt out of slavery in Egypt to their, a land of their own. And in the process of learning about the story, in the process of us studying the book of Exodus, we've learned some lessons that give us hope for hard times today. I hope you've been enjoying the series. I certainly have. Big thank you to all of our speakers who've been a part of the series so far. And by the way, we don't just study the book of Exodus every Sunday. In fact, we're actually studying the book of Exodus every day. And if you want to get in on that, you can go to mythrive.info and you can subscribe for Pastor JB's game time sharing emails. And what will happen is that every day in the morning, we're going to send to you an email with a passage from Exodus that you can read. And I'm just going to give you some of my thoughts on what I'm learning as we're going through Exodus together. And hopefully you find that helpful. You go to mythrive.info to subscribe for that. But let's look at Exodus chapter 21 together today. And I'm going to ask you to read with me, starting from Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 onward. And I want to invite you to read in a big, loud voice with me as we get into God's word today. Do you have a proactive church in this place today? I really hope I do. I hope you take some good notes today. I hope you respond wherever you are. Even if I I can't hear you shouting to God, when you respond to God by shouting to God or by taking notes, it does something for you. It helps you make the most of your time with us together. So let's do that together right now. Exodus chapter 21, verse 23. Let's read it together. What does it say? It says, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, a bruise for bruise. If a man hits a manservant or maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of a manservant or maidservant, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull must be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten, but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. Verse 29, if however the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned, but is not kept up, penned up, and it kills a man or woman, the bull must be stoned, and the owner also must be put to death. However, if payment is demanded of him, he may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or a daughter, if the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull must be stoned. If a man uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, The owner of the pit must pay for the loss. He must pay its owner and the dead animal will be his. If a man's bull injures the bull of another and it dies, they are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and the dead animal will 
be his. Congratulations, we just read the most obscure passage we've ever read on the stage here at Thrive Church. You're probably wondering, oh my goodness, what is this whole passage about? See, this is truly one of the most obscure passages we've ever read on the stage, but we're not going to shy away from it. In fact, this is the passage we're looking at together in our game-sharing email today, so we're going to tackle it together today. And see, here's the thing. What do we do with a passage like this? Maybe you are new to Christianity, and you're new to the Bible, and you're even thinking to yourself, you know, why should I even trust the Bible? You guys, Christians, you say that, you know, the Bible is God's word. How do you know that? If that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. We hope that Thrive is a, you find that Thrive is a safe place for your questions. In fact, if that's you and you've got those kind of questions, I want to encourage you after the service to go check out MyThrive.info. There is a series that we've done just very recently called Overcome My Unbelief, where we look at some of the biggest questions people have about the Christian faith. One of them being, how do I know that the Bible is the Word of God? Especially with passages like this. How do I know that this is the Word of God? Well, I encourage you to go check that out. And there's a message there that talks just about that. But maybe you're here and you're not new to Christianity, but you're here and you're reading this passage and you're like, how do I apply this passage to my life? I don't own a bull. You know, I, I've never been gored by a bull. I'm not concerned, at least not that much, about falling into a pit, but that seems to be all that this passage is talking about. Well, welcome to today's message. Today's message, I've entitled it, How to Read and Apply the Old Testament. Understanding the Law of Moses. I think if you've ever had questions about passages in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, where you're like, what do I do with this passage? This message is for you. I believe that God's word is powerful. Every part of it is. And today we're going to learn how to read and apply the Old Testament, understand the law of Moses. See, so far, what's happened in the book of Exodus? So far, we've learned from Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 19 that God has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, these amazing miracles, you know, these amazing wonders that he's performed to deliver them out of their time of slavery. And in this time, they're now trekking their way out of Egypt to what they call the promised land, a land of their own that God has prepared for them. And see, what happens is starting in Exodus 20, which is about where we're at today, the book of Exodus all of a sudden takes this really sharp turn from this really exciting, conflict-filled, emotionally-layered story you know, with all these different characters, all these exciting things going on, we go to this part of Exodus where now we just see list after list after list of these rules and these laws and these commands that God is giving the Israelites. And of course, as you're reading, you might have these, 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 these you know, interesting or sometimes very powerful events where God shows up in the lives of the Israelite community. But for the most part, it's just list after list of these different laws. And the question is, Why? Why this sudden switch in tone in the book of Exodus? Let me tell you why. It's because after being slaves for 400 years, the Israelites are now in a brand new season of life where they are now free. They're a free nation. And after so many years of being subject to great injustices under a different system, now as a free nation, they are in need of their own system of laws to govern them. And that's why last Sunday in Exodus 18, we saw how Moses, with the help of his father-in-law, Jethro, that he appoints judges to start adjudicating people's disputes. He's starting a judiciary for the Israelite people. And now starting in Exodus 20, we see God is taking the lead in establishing law 
laws and regulations so that the Israelites would be able to live together as a free and just society. And see, what can we learn from this? Here's one lesson we learned today, is that God doesn't just save people and then leave them be just by themselves. God's business is about not just saving people, but after he saves them, he wants to bring them close to himself and teach them how to live so that they won't be slaves again. If you believe that, say amen. See, is that if you and I aren't careful about drawing close to God, even after we come to Jesus for forgiveness, what's going to happen? Very likely, we're going to go back to being trapped by the same things that trapped us before. But see, God, because he cares for not just our salvation, but he cares for our whole life being, he wants us to be able to draw close to him and learn from him so that we can become the people that he wants us to be. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why God saves the Israelites and then he teaches them his laws so they can make the most of the freedom that they now have and live wise, peaceful lives together. And see, God does the same with you and for me. And that's why starting in Exodus chapter 20, God begins giving these laws. He starts with the most famous of them. He starts with what are called the 10 commandments. And then from Exodus 21, all the way through the book of Leviticus, which is the next book over, God speaks to Moses at this place called Mount Sinai. And he starts to give Moses this whole collection of laws and regulations that he sets before the Israelite people on how to live, how to resolve their disputes, how to approach God when they worship him. And as the Israelites are making their way to the promised land, guess what? You go into the book of Numbers, the fourth book, the fifth book called Deuteronomy, and God gives them even more laws, even more regulations to prepare them for life in the promised land. And see, all these hundreds of laws and regulations, some people count about 613 of them. They're encapsulated in the first five books of this Old Testament. They are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Just check the table of contents. And here's the thing, because God gave these laws to Moses, these laws became known as the law of Moses. And so just so we got the terms right, because this is important for today, what is the law of Moses? The law of Moses, it's also known as the law, consists of all the laws and regulations that you find in the first five books of the Bible, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also known as the Pentateuch. Everyone say the Pentateuch. You're wondering, what's the Pentateuch? Penta means five. Tuke means that woolly hat that you wear when it's cold. I'm kidding. That's not, that's a toque, but that's not the toque we're talking about. In fact, you know, some people call it a beanie in the States, but that's not the, that's not the toque we're talking about. Tuke means scroll. Pentateuch means five scrolls. We're talking about the first five scrolls in the Bible. And so the law of Moses is all of those laws and regulations that you find in the first five books. And so what you find is this, is that the Mosaic law, the law of Moses is really a mosaic of laws and regulations where you are piecing together different laws, different rules, different commands from the five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And that's what we get is called the law of Moses. Everyone say the law of Moses. Now, now, what does this have anything to do with us? See, let's talk about that right now. See, when we don't read and apply the Old Testament correctly, do you know it can lead to all sorts of problems? And, and I find this is that we often kind of fall into two extremes on this, especially when it comes to the law of Moses, all these laws we find in the first five books of the Bible. One extreme is to think that the law of Moses doesn't apply to us at all. 
and we don't even bother reading. Like, I'm not an Israelite. You know, I, I don't, I don't own slaves. By the way, if God, what, like God, like God, how can you allow slaves even in Israel side go and check out my game sharing? But see, here's the thing: is that I'm not a slave. I'm not an Israelite. I'm, I don't own a bull. Why does this? What does this have anything to do with me? And so, as a result, some people are just tempted to let it go to the side. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to bother with it. That's one extreme. A second extreme is to treat the law of Moses as if we're supposed to apply all of it today the same way the Israelites applied it back in Moses' time. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Back in grade 12, I was a new Christian. And by the way, for those who are in grade 12, those who are graduating high school, those who are graduating university, can we give a big shout out to all of our graduates today? Wherever you're sat, wherever you're watching the service, just a huge shout out to all of our graduates today. I know it's been an uncertain season. I know it can be kind of disappointing and maybe really disappointing. Maybe you didn't get to do that grad trip that you wanted to do. You didn't get to have that prom that you wanted to have. You didn't have to have, get to have that graduation ceremony that you've been dreaming about for so long. But let me tell you this, God is with you. And the fact is that, you know, you guys are the first class, graduating class in a hundred plus years that's ever gone through what you're going through. And the fact is this, I know it's natural to feel discouraged. It's normal to feel that way. But can I tell you one more thing? Is I really believe that the reason why God allows us to go through unique challenges is because he has a unique destiny for you. And, and I want to tell you this right now, is that it might not feel like it right now, but I want to tell you this, those of you who are graduating today, is that God is using this season of your life to do something greater than anything you could possibly imagine. God is using this season of your life to do something greater and to prepare you for something greater than anything you could imagine. That, and, and so don't despair, don't give up, keep on going. The best is yet to come. One more time for all of our graduating class. Let's give them a big hand right now. We love you guys. We're proud of you guys. And the best is yet to come. Well, let me tell you this right now. We've got these two extremes. One is to say, I don't care about the law of Moses. The other one is to say, I got to apply it just like Moses did. When I was Creed 12, I was a Christian and a brand new Christian. And I remember I was in high school. I was at my school. I was eating a pork chop. Anyone like pork chop here? Anyone like pork chop? I was eating, cutting away the pork chop. And uh, my classmate, who is not a Christian, uh, but he's kind of like this snarky, skeptic kind of guy. He comes up to me and he sees me eating my pork chop. And he says to me, knowing that I'm a Christian, he says, hey, uh, you know, you can't eat that, right? And I thought he was joking. I, really, I wasn't really sure what he was saying. I was like, so I kind of laughed. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And then he actually grabbed my Bible, which was right, by, right on my table. And he took it and he flipped to a verse that I want to show you right now. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 8. And what does it say? Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 14, 8 says, The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. And then he closed my Bible, he slammed it down on the floor, and he walked away. And uh, with this kind of smug look on his face. And, and, you know, let me tell you this, how are you to respond to something like that? If, 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 that, if, you're, if you're sitting in my shoes, how, how would you respond? Let me tell you in just a little bit later on this message how I responded. But that's just one interesting situation where someone interpreted the law of Moses in a certain way. Very interesting. Here's another, here's another situation. I know this one Christian girl who was dating this guy. And this guy, in the course of the relationship, was putting a lot of pressure on this girl to, and, and because, you know, we got kids watching, I got to be careful in how I say this, he was putting a lot of pressure on this girl to be close to him and be intimate with him in ways that usually only married couples are. 
and to be intimate in all those kind of ways. And he kept putting pressure on this girl to do those things. And she was, she was a Christian. She said, no, I, I don't want to do those. I, I don't, I'm a Christian. I don't believe you do those things before marriage. And you know what he said? He said, hey, baby, I'm a Christian too. And doesn't the Bible say that we're not under law, but we're under grace? And so doesn't that mean everything's okay? Doesn't mean all things are lawful? What would you do if you're that girl? See, it's just one of those things where when we don't know how to read or apply the Old Testament correctly, we can get ourselves into some confusing situations. Let me tell you later on how this girl resolved it. But first, let me tell you two reasons why having a right understanding of the Old Testament is so important. Why don't you write this down, take some good notes today. Number one is a wrong understanding of the Old Testament will cause you to miss God's will for your life. You know, if you don't have the right understanding of the Old Testament, it's gonna, it's not just, oh, that's too bad. You're actually gonna miss something very important that God has for you. See, at Thrive, we'd like to say the best is yet to come. And it's because we believe that God has a greater plan for your life, that God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We believe that. But the question is, is how do you figure out what that plan is? Part of it is reading and understanding the Bible. Because let me tell you this, you can write this down. The Bible is God's will expressed through God's word. Let me say that again. The Bible is God's will expressed through God's word. See, the Bible consists of two parts. There's the Old Testament. There's the New Testament. And I don't know if you know this, but the word testament is actually a term that lawyers use. Is that when a lawyer meets with a client to write up their will, they call that document my last will and testament. What is a testament. A testament is a written expression of what that person wants. It's a written expression of that person's will. It's a written expression of that person's desires for the future, what they want to do with what they have, how they want to bless the people coming after them. That's their will, their last will and testament. And likewise, when you are reading the Old Testament, what are you reading? You're actually reading part of God's will. And if you misread that, if you misread the Old Testament, if you misread God's will, what's going to happen? You're going to miss God's plan for your life. You're going to miss the blessings that he has in store for you. You're going to miss out on the things he wanted you to do. And you might end up spending a whole lot of time and energy on things that didn't really matter in the end, all because you had a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. I don't want that for you as your pastor. I certainly don't want that for me. That's why we need a right understanding of God's word, especially the Old Testament. If you believe us, say amen. See, you're going to find this. If they, when you have a right understanding of the Old Testament, it's going to lead to a life of joy, wisdom, peace, and power, because that's what the kingdom of God is about. But if you have a wrong understanding of the Old Testament, it's going to lead to a life of unnecessary burden, frustration, misery. You're going to have these misguided expectations of yourself, of others, and even of God, because you never fully understood what God's will was in the Old Testament. Now, you may be like, but, but JB, like, you know, is it even possible to have a wrong understanding of the Old Testament? Isn't the Bible just like art, like abstract art? You just, whatever you see goes, and you know, everyone's interpretation, no matter how different it is, it's all valid. You know, yeah, let me tell you this, even with art, some understandings and some interpretations, some interpretations are just closer to the truth than others. For example, say you got two people who both go watch the movie, the award, uh, the, the Academy Award winning movie, Parasite. It won Best Picture just this past year. And they, they both go and watch Parasite and one person comes back and says, yeah, you know, this movie is about a Korean family who don't have a lot financially and they together come up with this really interesting plan to make money. 
All right, so that's, that's their explanation. That's their interpretation. And then someone else comes out of the same movie and they say, you know what? It'll, no, no, no. It's about a white European family with lots of kids. They love to sing songs in the hills like, you do a deer, a female deer. You're listening to both. And if you've never watched the movie, you'd be like, oh, I guess, I guess, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to believe. I guess people just have different takes. But then you actually go and watch the movie yourself. And you realize, you know what? The first person was really right. And the second person, I don't know what movie they're watching. They're probably watching another movie. And see, here's the thing. Even though the Bible is literature, the Bible isn't just art where it, you know, whatever you say goes, however you want to interpret it goes, it's also God's law. And imagine if you, know, you took the will of your father or your mother and you just read it whatever you want. You go, oh, okay, I, I, oh, let, let me read my dad's last will and testament. Oh yeah, it says everything goes to me. Yeah, sorry, sis, everything goes to me. And then your sister looks and let me read. It doesn't say that. It says that we get everything 50-50. What are you talking about? Or, or say, you know, you, you, you take the criminal code, which is, you know, the law in Canada that lists all the different crimes people can commit. And you say, you know what? I don't care what it says. I'm going to interpret it this way. You know, there's no such thing as murder. There's no such a thing as stealing. And you go about living your life based on that interpretation. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to go to jail anyways. Because here's the thing, when it comes to reading the Bible, logic matters. When it comes to reading the Bible, taking care matters. Taking your time to read it matters. Having a view that is internally logical and is consistent with, with, with the material that is in front of you, that all matters. It's not just whatever interpretation goes. And what's more is this, is that you need the help of the Holy Spirit when you read the scriptures so that he can reveal God's word and God's truth to you. That's why in Jesus' time, there's a group called the Sadducees. We spent so much time talking about spiritual matters, but they didn't spend that much time carefully reading the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so what did Jesus tell, tell them? In, in Matthew twenty two twenty nine? read it with me. What does he say? He says to the Sadducees, he says, you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It is possible to have a wrong understanding of scripture. That's why we want to aim to have the right one. If you believe that, say amen. Second reason why it's so important to have a right understanding of the Old Testament, and, it's, and you, can, you can tell this from my story about my classmate, people who know you are watching to see how you live out the Bible. And that's especially if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and people know it, that, that you know, your spouse, your kids, your friends who know you're a Christian, they're going to be watching whether they say it or not, they're going to be watching to see how do you live your life and does it match up with their understanding of what the Bible says about how Christians should live. And, and see, here's the thing. If you don't know how to answer their questions when they have them, or if you live your life in a way that brings misunderstanding about what the Bible is, you can actually do more harm than good. You can actually mislead people into believing something that's actually not true about the Bible. That's why 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says it this way in the ESV. It says, read it with me. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We want to be people who know how to rightly handle the word of God. Because when we do so, that's when we can have confidence about how we're living our lives. When we do so, that's when we're able to help other people, whether it's your kids or your spouse, your family, your, your friends. And so, so with that in mind, that today I want to end by teaching you, how do you read and apply the regulations we find in the law of Moses? Remember the first five books in the Old Testament. How do you read and apply these to our lives? Because we're going to be reading the law of Moses this coming week in our game time. And so I want you to have some tools with which you can do it. Some would say, you know what? 
the law of Moses doesn't apply to me because didn't Paul say, we're not under law, we're under grace. Well, let's talk about that right now. Romans 6, 14, 15 is often a verse that they'll look to. And what does it say? It's an awesome verse. What does it say? It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Look, what, since we're in Romans, look at Romans 7, 6. What does it say? It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so right now, okay, the argument seems pretty strong. I guess the law doesn't apply to us because we're released from the law. Doesn't that, is that what it says? We're not under law. Isn't that what it says? Well, that's what it says, but what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. See, in the New Testament, whenever the New Testament puts a distance between us and the law of Moses, that's the law, it's not saying that the law of Moses does not apply to us at all in any way anymore. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that we cannot be saved by obeying that law because our performance will never be perfect. See, what it's saying is that God's standards are perfect, God's laws are perfect, and because we're not perfect, we will never be able to fulfill God's laws perfectly, and so therefore we can never meet God's standards perfectly. And the, the, and this thing, I can't even meet my own standards, let alone God's standards, and so if I think that under God's law, I can earn God's approval through a perfect performance and go to heaven based on my merit, based on how good I think I am, then I've got another thing coming because I can't get there under law. But the good news is this, is that when we had no way of reaching God, God didn't want to abandon us. He didn't want us to leave us be. He didn't want to be apart from us, either now or for eternity. But instead, he wanted to be with us forever. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, not just to die on the cross. We'll get there. But he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to live the life that we couldn't live to live for us the life that met all the requirements of the law. That's why Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It's because he knew that we couldn't do it. And so he did it on our behalf. Jesus lived for us, and then he died for us. He died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And not only did he live for us, not only did he die for us, finally, he rose again for us so that we could know we can trust every word that Jesus says. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Oh, come on. I'm excited to earn a brand new soundstage. You should be as well. Because the fact is this. The reason why Paul says you are not under law, but under grace, is not to say the law of Moses doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't apply in any kind of way anymore. It's saying something very, very different. It's that we are not under law. In other words, we're not now living in a system where we have to try to earn God's love and approval anymore. We're not under that law anymore. Instead, we're under a brand new world called grace, where it's about God's unconditional love for us that despite all of my mistakes, all of my flaws, all of my sin, all of my failure, God still loves me and sent Jesus Christ for me. We're not under law. We're under grace. Oh, come on. Give God a big hand, big shout in this place right now. Would you tell your neighbor in your chat room, tell them, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Amen. I'm not under law, but I'm under grace. And see, 
I hope I'm getting my point out today, is that Paul, when he says, you're not under law, but under grace, he's not saying, okay, you can throw out Exodus 20 all the way to Deuteronomy 34, just throw it out, burn it, because it doesn't apply anymore. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, we are not saved by our perfect adherence to the law of God, but we are saved by the perfect grace of God, this undeserved kindness expressed through Jesus Christ. Turn your neighbor and say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus because he first loved me. You know, in fact, you're going to find this. Whereas some people might say, oh, the law doesn't apply. The law is bad. The law is evil. When you, read the old, when, when you read the New Testament, you get a very different message. Paul and the other New Testament writers, they actually uphold the law of Moses. They actually honor the love of Moses. They actually even refer back to the law of Moses. Let me give you an example. We just celebrated Mother's Day just a couple weeks ago, a couple Sundays ago. Let me give you a very Mother's day kind of verse right now. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Read it with me. What says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. See, Paul, what is he doing? Paul, he's a missionary, used to be the most anti-Christian guy, but then he started churches all over after he encountered Jesus in a powerful way. He's talking to a church in Ephesus, which is full of non-Jewish people. And he's telling them that you need to obey your parents, children. And guess what? If you're an adult, you need to honor your parents. Why? And then he quotes something. He quotes, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And where does that come from? That comes from the law of Moses. It's the fifth commandment in the 10 commandments. And let me tell you this. Let me ask you this. If the law of Moses didn't apply to us at all, if the law of Moses was irrelevant, you could throw it away. Why? would Paul use the law of Moses as his basis for saying, children, you got to obey your parents? Why? It's because in some way, the law of Moses still applies. See, this is not the only time. When you look at the New Testament, Jesus himself honored the law of Moses. The New Testament writers, they would refer to the law of Moses as their scriptural support for how non-Jewish Christians should live and as illustrations pointed to Jesus. Just read the book of Hebrews, for example. But see, don't fall into the trap of thinking that the law of Moses is this bad, evil, irrelevant thing. Over and over, the New Testament says the law of Moses is good. It's spiritual. The law of Moses shows us that we are sinners who need a savior. The law of Moses points us to Jesus and our need for him as our savior. If you believe that, say amen. That's why 1 Timothy 1.8 says this. It says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We know the law of Moses is good if we know how to use it properly. And so the question is not, is it irrelevant? The question is, do you know how to use it? Because it is relevant. Is the law of Moses still relevant to lives of Christians today? Yes, it is. Is it still worth reading and applying? Yes, it is. The question is, how? So let's do that right now. See, the early church in Acts, they had to wrestle with the same thing. What do I do with the law? And the question today I want to ask you is this, is to what extent do the regulations in the law of Moses. Remember, first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, right? Apply to Christians today. Let me give you a couple guidelines today. See, say you're reading a passage, reading a verse in the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible, and you're like, what do I do with this? Let's go with that right now. Guideline number one, if a regulation in the law of Moses has been revoked in the New Testament, that regulation no longer applies to us, right? That's very, very clear. 
For example, circumcision was a requirement under the law of Moses. We talked about circumcision a few weeks ago. And is what's the, and you have to ask yourself, what does the New Testament say now about male circumcision? Does it say it's good or it's bad, keep on going or do away with it? Does it affirm it or does it revoke it? Praise God, it revokes it. It means that male Christians don't need to get circumcised. Oh, can you give God some praise? Amen. Amen. Here's another one. All those sacrifices of lambs and bulls that you read about in the book of Leviticus, you know, all these different offerings, the burnt offering, the guilt offering, the fellowship offering. What what does the New Testament say about, does it affirm it or revoke it? Well, it revokes it. Why? Because Jesus Christ, his one sacrifice on the cross was greater than every one of those sacrifices. Jesus is the perfect male lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins, making those other sacrifices no longer necessary. And so it revoked something from the law of Moses. Another one is restrictions on food. In, in, in Leviticus, and in Exodus, you're going to see, oh, don't eat this, don't do that. And uh, if, if you're an Israelite living at the time, you'd be saying, wow, there's a lot of stuff I cannot eat. And what happens in the New Testament with these restrictions? They're revoked. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 19. This is Jesus talking. He says, for it doesn't go into his, he's talking about food. It doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And so what is he saying? He's saying before, yes, there used to be these regulations that saying you can't eat this, can't eat that. But Jesus, he is the Lord of the law and he can declare a new law. And he says, now these foods are clean. So it's revoked. Acts 10, 11 to 15, you've got Peter who hadn't eaten anything unclean in his life. He was a very strict, kosher Jew. And he he decides, I'm not going to eat anything. But all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 10, he sees a vision of all these animals he's not allowed to eat. And he sees a vision, you read it in Acts chapter 10, 11 to 15, is God says, kill and eat. And he's like, no, 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 I've never eaten a pig in my life. I'm not going to do that now. And what, what does God say in response? He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so what's going on? God is revoking an old regulation and replacing it with something new. And so going back to my situation with my friend in high school who tried to use the law of Moses to tell me, hey, you know you can't eat that, right? I'm eating this pork chop. He's like, you know you can't eat that, right? You know, how do you respond? Well, let me tell you how I responded. Is um, that night I went home and I wrote him a note and uh, this is back when there's no email still, so I, I actually wrote a handwritten note to this guy, and I said, uh, hey, so-and-so, thanks so much for caring about my diet. And you know, it's really cool to see that you're reading the Bible. It's true that in the first five books of the Old Testament, a lot of different dietary restrictions to follow, but you gotta understand this. There's a story in the Bible. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and declares all foods clean. In fact, if you read it, so much of the Old Testament is actually pointing to and preparing us for Jesus in the New Testament. Have you read the New Testament? And for me, I find that Jesus really changes everything, not just my diet, but he's starting to change my heart too. And I'd love to share more with you if ever you want. And, and you know, he never got back to me. <laughs> I gave him the letter. He looked at it. He never got back to me. And I just kept on, I just kept on eating my pork chop. And that, but that's the thing. It's about learning to read and apply God's word, especially the Old Testament, in a healthy way. Number two, second guideline for you, is that if a regul- this is the opposite now. If a regulation in the law of Moses is affirmed in the New Testament, that regulation still applies today. In other words, if you're reading a regulation in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, and you, you're asking, 
what does the New Testament do with it? It actually says, keep on going with it. Then you know you can keep on going with it. For example, look at Leviticus 19, 11 to 19. Let's try to read it together. It says, do not steal, do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name or so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is Leviticus 19. This is the law of Moses. And guess what? What does the New Testament do with each of these commands? In one way or another, the New Testament affirms these commands over and over and over again. When I'm reading Leviticus 19, it's like reading the New Testament. That's how close they are. And so does Leviticus 19 verse 11 to 18 still apply to us today? Yes, it does. Because the New Testament affirms it. Amen? See, even today, we're not to steal. Even today, we're not to pervert justice. Even today, we're not to defraud others. Even today, we're not to have hate in our heart for people or bear grudges. See, here's another example. In the Old Testament, when it says, do not commit adultery, i.e., don't sleep with someone you're not married to, does that apply to us today? Yes, it does. Over and over, the New Testament talks about that too. And see, here's the thing. Um, Go, go to, first, for example, First Thessalonians 4, 3 to 6. It says this. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we've already told you and warned you. So, see, going back to that Christian girl that I knew, who was dating that guy who kept pressuring her to do what only married couples can do and, you know, and, and he kept on misapplying scripture saying, you know, doesn't the Bible say that we're not under law but we're under grace, baby? And, and you know what? You know how she responded? She responded by saying, hey man, first off, I think you're misreading the Bible. Secondly, I really don't like how you're using your misinterpretation of the Bible to force me to do something that I don't believe I should do. Third, we're done. Goodbye. She made the right decision. And see, because she learned to read the Old Testament and apply it correctly, it helped her to avoid a bad situation, a bad decision, and it gave her clarity about her purpose. Amen? That's what happens when you learn to read and apply God's word, especially the Old Testament, well. Tithing, which began the Old Testament, it's part of the law of Moses, but actually preceded the law of Moses. It was before the law of Moses. It's been there even before Moses' laws came in. That, is that affirmed in the New Testament? Yes, it is as well. These are kind of things that apply to us today. Third guideline. See, you might be, okay, so if, it affir- if, if I got a regulation in the law of Moses and I see that the New Testament says keep on going with it, I keep on going with it. If I've got a regulation in the Old Testament in the law of Moses and the New Testament says it's over, it's done with, it's revoked, I don't have to do that anymore. But what if it doesn't say either one? And sometimes you're going to find that as well. Let me give you some guidelines on that right now. If a regulation in the law of Moses is not revoked or affirmed in the New Testament, ask yourself a couple questions. Question number one, was this regulation more likely announcing a moral rule that stands for all time and all people 
Or is it more likely representing a cultural rule that was specific to Israelite culture and society at that time? See, if it was the first thing, if it was a moral rule that seems to be for all people of all time, then there's a good chance that this one still applies today. If this is a cultural rule, then it might just be specific to the Israelites only and doesn't apply to us today. But here is something you can ask yourself. Even if it's just a cultural one, you can still ask yourself this next question. When you look at that regulation, what is the timeless principle that I can apply from this regulation? Because you're going to find this, is that in the Bible, even the oldest verses, there will often be a timeless application principle, a lesson you can learn that you can take from that verse that you can apply today. It's almost like it bridges then and now. And you can ask yourself, what is that timeless principle? And so knowing all that, let's go back to the passage we read at the very beginning, that really strange passage about bulls and and falling into pits. Let's look at it right now and let's see if we can unpack it together right now. Verse 33 of Exodus 21 says, if a man uncovers a pit, or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it. The owner of the pit must pay for the loss. He must pay its owner, and the dead animal will be his. If a man's bull injures the bull of another and it dies, they're to sell the live one and divide both the money and the animal, the dead animal, equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal, and the dead animal will be his. Wow. What do we do with something like this? Let's go through the whole sequence. Question number one, does the New Testament revoke or affirm this Old Testament regulation? Well, if you've got an app like Bible Gateway on your phone, or maybe another, you know, another you know, New Testament search engine on your phone, you can just search it and search bulls, search pits. See if you can find anything like, you're not, you're not, you're not going to find anything like it. All right, you're not fun. And this, so the fact is that the, the New Testament doesn't speak about this at all. So then we go to the next question. Question two, is this regulation more likely laying down a moral law that's for all people in all time, or is it more a cultural law that's specific to the Israelites? And when you look at it, you know, it's most likely a cultural law. It's because the Israelites, they lived in an agrarian society, lots of livestock, and so it's most likely a cultural law. But that said, question three, what is the timeless principle that I can apply from this regulation? Okay, sure, I'm not a farmer. I don't own you know, oxen. The closest I have to farming is maybe my son plays Farmville. That's the closest I'll ever get to farming. But the fact is, is there a timeless principle that I can learn from this passage? And let me tell you at least one timeless principle from the verses we just read. A timeless principle from Exodus 21, 23 to 20, 36 is this. Write this down. When someone gets hurt due to your fault, whether it was intentional or not, Do what you can to make amends, to reach out to that person and make them whole. So the question is, is there someone in your life that you hurt this past week? Something you said, something that you did, a bad decision you made. If so, the timeless principle we learn from Exodus 21 today is we got to take responsibility for our mistakes. Amen? That we got to take responsibility, own up to it. Maybe it's about saying, hey, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake. Would you please forgive me? Maybe it's about going even one step further. If there's a really bad injury, it's compensating them to make them whole. It's about doing what you can in your control, in your power, to make amends and to reach out to people when we hurt them, whether it's by accident or intentionally. See, what if you're the one who's hurt? Wouldn't you love to rely on verses 23 to 25 where it says, but if there's a serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Wouldn't you love that? 
you know, you, you, know, you left me, I'm going to leave you. You swore at me, I'm going to swear at you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Let me ask you the same question today. What does this Old Testament regulation, like what, how is it treated in the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about it? Does it affirm it? Does it revoke it? Well, in the case of being hurt, when we're the ones being hurt, we've got to look at what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 38. And it just says, if you search in your Bible app, eye for eye, you're going to find this in, your, in Matthew chapter 5, 38, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. See, what is Jesus saying? See, Jesus is not saying, you know, uh, you know, if you get hurt, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, get that guy. Get revenge. He's not saying that. But he's also not saying, let me, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not also saying, be a pushover. Just, you know, keep letting people abuse you over and over and bully you over and over. Let, let me tell you what Jesus, what, what just Jesus is saying, what his point is here. Number one, Jesus is showing that God's standards are so much higher than ours is that when he says, be perfect, therefore, just as your heavenly father is perfect, he's saying that God's standards are way up here when our standards are way down here. And we can never reach God's standards. That's why we need a savior. In fact, in saying these words, Jesus is indirectly saying, hey guys, you need a savior because you can never get there on your own. That's the first thing Jesus is doing. But there's a second thing Jesus is doing. He's saying, when you're hurt, remember God's mercy. See, when we hurt God with our sin, what did God do? He was kind to us. When we hurt God, God hurt even more by taking our sin to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so for us, when someone hurts us, it's not as simple as eye for eye, tooth for tooth, take revenge. See, we need to remember the mercy that God had on us when we think about the people who've hurt us. We gotta learn to forgive, amen? And see, throughout the COVID-19 season, you know, we've been hearing here in Vancouver about incidents of racism coming in the form of violence and vandalism and other things. And, you know, for example, my cousin, he was in his car and he was parked at a store. He stopped at a stoplight and then someone else came by another car. They tell him to roll down his window. So he rolls down his window and they say, go back where you came from. That's what he said. That's what he said. I know Pastor Shar, uh, a couple weeks ago, she's, she's sitting on a bench with the kids. I think they're having ice cream or something. Someone comes up to her and sits on the bench across from them, and uh, they say, uh, you're Chinese, right? Yeah. So what do you think of this COVID-19 th- stuff? It's like, oh, I, I don't know. What do you mean? Uh, well, because you guys started it. Like, what do you guys think? And, and she's obviously trying to pick a fight. And, and you know, praise God, Shar is not the type to pick a fight. Does she look like the type to pick a fight? No, not at all. And so she was, you know, she was just really gentle about it. She's like, she, she, she gathered her stuff and she did, tried not to make a scene. She grabbed her stuff and he's like, okay, have a nice day. And she, and she headed off. In Chinatown this past week, you heard about these two lion statues at the gate of Chinatown and they were vandalized with this kind of anti-racist, uh, just kind of racist graffiti. You know, when you hear about this, these things, it's natural to be upset. It's natural to be angry. Uh, but let me tell you this, whether you are 
Asian, you're Latino, you're black, you're white. Let me tell you this. What is the Christian response to something like that? When you, if you're offended by this kind of behavior, what's the Christian thing to do? See, you could easily go back to Exodus 21 and say, you know what? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's the law of Moses, right? You could say that. You could say, you know what? They took, they, they, they put graffiti all over those, those, those lions in Chinatown. Let's go to Gassy. Let's go to Gastown. Let's go to the Gassy's Jack statue. Let's poke out his eyes. Let's, let's grab the, the steam clock, you know, and, and we'll move it up to where his butt is. And it's really going to be Gassy Jack now. Let's show them. You, you, you know, people may want to do that. I don't know why I think about it in so much detail, but the fact is, like, people might want to do that. And, and, and the fact is this. Is that the Christ-like thing to do? No, it's not. It's not. See, we need to learn to read and apply the Old Testament. And what does the New Testament say? Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But let me tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You know, Romans 12, 17, 21 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control what other people do, but you have control over how you respond. And it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God is saying, you know, in the New Testament, you know, instead of going eye for eye, tooth for tooth, instead of just taking revenge in your own hands, what do you want to do? Trust God to be your avenger. Trust God to be your defender. Trust God to be your shield and your protector. And in fact, when Paul says in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Where does he get that from? He gets it from the law of Moses. That's Deuteronomy 32, 35. On the, on, on the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do, that's also from the Old Testament too. And then finally he says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. See, if you're here and you've experienced some hurt, let me tell you this right now. Don't fight hate with hate. Because when you fight hate with hate, it only leads to more hate and more misunderstanding. And what's going to happen when you fight hate with hate, it, it, it's actually you bending and stooping down to someone else's level when you don't need to do that. Instead, overcome evil with good. You know, with some people, it's not, argue, it's not worth arguing because they're so set in their mind, in their thoughts, in their ways about spewing hate. And so you don't want to stoop down to that level and spew hate back. You overcome evil with good. It's just not worth it. It might mean setting some boundaries. It might mean protecting yourself from others. When you see injustice, go and report it to the authorities. But don't repay evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Turn your neighbor in your chat rooms. Tell your neighbor who's sitting beside you, it's time to overcome evil with good. Amen. It's time to overcome evil with good. This is helpful in this place today. I hope you're learning something today. Let me just end today with just a couple tips for reading and applying the Old Testament to your life, in addition to what I've given you already. If you want to make the most of the law of Moses and knowing how to apply that, the Old Testament, knowing how to apply that, write this down. Number one, read the Old Testament thoughtfully without making any prejudgments. See, for example, when you see something in the Old Testament that you don't understand or you don't agree with, don't be like, oh, forget it. I can't read this. I don't, like, I, I don't even understand it. I don't, I don't agree with it. You know what? Don't do that. Don't be so quick to judge it. 
be willing to suspend judgment and give it time. Because here's the thing. If the Bible really is God's word, it shouldn't surprise you when you see something in the Bible that you don't fully understand. Or that if the Bible's truly God's word, it shouldn't surprise you when you come up with something that you might not agree with. Because guess what? You and I are not God. Amen? So you got to give it time. Turn neighbor, give it time. Give it time. Be, give it time. Be willing to live with the temporary tension of reading something that you might not fully understand, but you don't give up knowing that in time you'll have that understanding. See, I think that when, as you get to know the Bible more, a lot of those tensions will resolve themselves, and so it's about learning to read the Old Testament without any prejudgment. Number two, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says it this way. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is to come. See, in other words, one of the most helpful things I can do when I'm reading scripture, especially the Old Testament, but New Testament too, is that when I come across, even before I read, I'll say, Holy Spirit, please guide me in my reading today. Please guide me in my understanding today. And especially when there's a verse that I don't really understand, I'll just ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you think of this? And it's kind of crazy how sometimes, it might not be right away, but overnight, there'll be illumination on that verse for me. And I believe it's not just for me. I believe it's for everyone because if you've got Jesus in your life, you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and don't just do it on your own. You, don't, you've never, you weren't born to do it on your own. I would encourage you, find other people who are following Jesus. And you can, you can talk to them too. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to your small group. Talk to a counselor. Talk to your pastor. And the more you, you rely on the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to find how to, how to apply the Old Testament to your life. Number three, final thing. Read the Old Testament with a New Testament lens. Read the Old Testament with a New Testament lens. What does that mean? So you got to understand this. All of the law of Moses, all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. And so you got to ask yourself this question. When you're reading a verse in the Old Testament that you're kind of just wondering about, you have to ask yourself this. How does this verse or the passage around it, how is it pointing me in any way to Jesus and what Jesus would do in the New Testament? Because if you would see that, if you would do that, I'm going to, find, I'm going to tell you that more often than not, eventually you're going to find there are some amazing applications and some incredible illustrations and some powerful pictures that the Old Testament gives us of what Jesus Christ would do for us. If you believe that, say amen. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that in your small group. I encourage you to do that with your kids. When you do so and you learn to read and apply the Old Testament that way, you're going to find that it gives you life, it gives you joy, it gives you peace, it gives you wisdom, it gives you hope for hard times. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Can we thank God for a good time together in his word? Let's all pray together right now. I encourage you, right, right wherever you're sitting, standing, watching the service, why don't you just do this right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. We just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. We really believe that, you know, we're not here just to give information, but God's word is powerful and it can lead us to transformation. And so it's with that in mind today that I just want to encourage you to respond to God and what you've heard. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've ever heard that God loves you. That it's not about how you need to do all these things to get to where God is and to earn his love and approval. But it's about how God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ for you. He loves you with an unconditional love. And so that's not so much about what you have to do, 
is about what God has already done for you when he sent Jesus Christ for you. And if you're here and you realize today that you need forgiveness from God for sin in your life, maybe something you did this past week, maybe something in your past that still haunts you today, I'm here to tell you today, nothing you could do could make God love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. And so if you're here and you realize you need God's forgiveness, right where you are, don't worry about your neighbor, what they're doing. This is between you and God. If you need God's forgiveness, why don't you just lift your hand to God right now? Right wherever you are, wherever you're watching this service, why don't you lift your hand to God as your response to God? Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him. Let your, the height of your hands just reflect your sincerity. And why don't you just pray this prayer with me right now? Because receiving God's forgiveness is as simple as opening up your heart. And you can pray a prayer like this. You can just follow me and just say, Dear Jesus, Thank you that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart. Please come in, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that from your heart. The Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. And you now have a brand new relationship with God. And, and you know, we would love to let you know, to, to, to hear about it if that's you. In fact, there's a little button there on your screen, hopefully, that says, I commit my life to Jesus. Would you just touch that right now? Those of you who prayed that prayer, you meant that from your heart, would you just touch that right now? We'd love to connect with you to give you a special gift to encourage you in this new relationship with God. Maybe you don't see that button. You can go and text the word BELIEVE to 604-285-5770. And we'd love to get in touch with you that way. A big congratulations to all of you who prayed that prayer today. Finally, we want to do this with you, is that for those of you who want to be people who handle the word of God correctly, who know how to read and apply the Old Testament and the law of Moses in healthy, wise ways that bring life and fruit to your life and the lives of others, it's your turn right now. Why don't you lift your hands to God right now? Why don't you lift your hands as an expression of your response to God today? Don't worry about your neighbors. It doesn't concern them. It's between you and God. Just right now, even as you are watching the service, why don't you just lift up your heart to God, why don't you, even in your own words, just start talking to God right now. I encourage you just even to pray out loud. Don't worry about your neighbor. Just start talking to God right now. From your heart, would you just respond to God? Just think of what you've learned today. Start responding to God. Thank God that he has a plan for your life. Thank God that he knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper, not to harm you. Thank God for giving us his word so we could know his will. Ask God for wisdom. Would you do that right now? Just right where you are, just start responding to God right now. Ask God for that wisdom. Ask God. Open up your heart right now. Open up your heart and just start, say that to God in your own words and start talking to God responding right now. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just pray to God. He loves you. He's listening. He's with you right now. Just start talking to him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Father. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Give your burdens to him. Give your questions to him. Just give it all to him today. He loves you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Why don't you pray this prayer with me if you want to know how to be wise in reading and applying God's word, the Old Testament especially, into your life. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me, that you know the plans you have for me, that you reveal your will through your word. Holy Spirit, please help me to read and apply all of your word to my life the way you intended, that it would result in peace, joy, wisdom, and life for me and those around me, and that it would result in praise 
and glory being given to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? We thank God for a great time in God's word and with God's people. You guys are an amazing church. We love you guys so much. Right now, we want to invite our worship band to come up and lead us in a song. As we respond to God, let's give our very, very best to him. Let's do that together right now.
Let's pray together right now. Why don't you lift your hands to God? Father God, we want to thank you so much that your love for us is amazing, unconditional, unlimited, unchanging. It's wise. It's enduring. It's persevering. It's forgiving. It's patient. And because you showed such mercy to us, God, we pray for those who've been hurt by words this past week, who've been hurt by the actions of others, whether they're people that they know well or people that they don't know at all. We pray, Father God, that you would help them to remember your mercy for us when we think of the people who hurt us, and that we wouldn't pay back evil for evil, but we would overcome evil with good, because that's how you treated us too. We thank you so much for every single person here who's watching this service today, and we pray all of your blessing, your power, protection, your presence, peace, wisdom, joy, hope, healing, comfort, strength, and your Holy Spirit to fill each and every one of them until we next meet again. We thank you so much. We give you praise. Know that because Jesus Christ is alive, the best is yet to come. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. You guys are an amazing church inside and out. As we finish off our service, just a couple of things we're going to do. First off, if you call throughout church or home church or you just believe the work that God is doing here, it's time to give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings. Know that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And so let's give generously to God, knowing that when we do so, he builds his kingdom through us as well. You go to mythought.info to give. Now we're going to hand the time back to Rachel, our online host. Have an amazing week, everybody. God loves you. God's with you. God's for you. And the best yet to come. We'll see you guys next week. Love you guys so much. Take care and God bless. Thank you, Pastor JB, for the powerful message. Now let's look at some announcements. If this is your first time joining us, please let us know. Text NEW to 604-285-5770 and we will mail you a Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you made the decision to receive Jesus Christ into your life, congratulations! Please let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770. We have prepared a gift pack with a series of helpful videos and resources to answer some of the questions you may have to follow Jesus. In partnership with Connection Community Service, we're looking for volunteers to make weekly care calls to seniors in the community who are feeling isolated due to the pandemic. If you are interested or would like to find out more information, sign up at mythrite.info before May 31st. Zoom prayer meeting is happening every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Join us for a time of worship and prayer. For more information, please check out our social media, Facebook or Instagram. That's it for today's announcements. Don't forget to give your tithes and offering online at myfight.info to support the ministries at Fight Church. Thank you for joining us today. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you again next week at Fight Church Online. Bye-bye.